University of Maryland Global Campus was established to bring a respected state university education to working adults at home and abroad. Seventy years ago, we sent professors overseas to educate service members and their families on military installations and on the front lines. Today, we're online because that's where working adults need us. That's where you need us. We'll support your commitment to being a successful student with services that fit your lifestyle. And we offer more than 90 programs and specializations for where you are and where you want to be. University of Maryland University College is now University of Maryland Global Campus. We go the distance because times have changed, but what we're made for hasn't. UMGC offers online support for veterans, including resources at the Veterans Resource Center, no-cost digital materials replacing most textbooks, virtual advising, transfer credits, and lifetime career services. Speak to our dedicated military and veterans advisors who can help you find the right degree for your career path. Visit umgc.edu. Certified to operate in Virginia by Chev. Welcome to the AFA podcast, the official podcast of animationforadults.com. I am Chris and I am joined today by Dan. Hello, Dan. Hello, Chris. Hi. How's it going? Uh, super uh, bloody duper. Uh, I'm, I'm not leaving the house. No, no one's leaving the house. No, no one's leaving the house. Don't leave the house. Don't leave the house. Stay in. I mean, um, don't leave the house unless you have to eat, exercise, unless you have to eat, unless you have to go out for food, exercise, or you're an essential worker, or you have an essential journey, right? That's yeah. the rules. That's I mean, that's the, the rules, rules, that's for, rules for, us. for our country. Yeah. It's different everywhere in America, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah yours may vary. Yes. Yeah. Um, but we, we were ahead of the game. We the we, yeah, we've been doing our, our, our podcast remotely for ages anyway, because... The um the crew is spread out across not only the country but the, the yeah world. we're distancing socially yeah very it. yeah um but what we are talking about today is the up the brand new Netflix animated film The Willoughby's a film so, that is that is that is not distant that is close to my heart. Ooh. Oh, I don't know why I did that. Yeah, ooh. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Netflix film. Yeah, directed by Chris Pern, um, who has had a long, quite a long career in animation, uh, yeah. but has not directed a load before. He did um, Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs 2, uh, mm-hmm. but he didn't write that. Um, but this is, this is one that he's written or co-written and directed so we will tell you what we think about it but before that we actually have an interview with chris pern himself oh and, and that, that was you dan wasn't it that was me yeah yeah well how um oh i get to say this now uh, I, I called up chris a couple of days ago and uh, <laughs> he told me a little bit about the film and then you just go go do it there right that's how it goes <laughs> um yeah um he was he was lovely um i can't imagine i can't tell if it would be worse or better doing a press junket from your own home um must be great but yeah uh uh, we had a nice chat he was very lovely um 
Uh, and uh, yeah, he told me about the film. Are we are we gonna, are we going to go to that now? We are. Um, we was. I'll just say that you can absolutely listen to this if you haven't seen the film, the interview, because there's no there's no spoilers in it. That were, none that I noticed anyway. Uh, Even so... though I think at one point I sort of teased the fact that I might talk about a spoiler, and he yeah. sort of nods knowingly, and then I never get to it. Yeah. But it doesn't actually happen, so don't worry. Uh, just enjoy the interview. Sorry, cool. Um, so, hey, Chris, good morning to you. Good morning, Dan. Thank morning. you. I'm Grant, thanks. Um, welcome to the AFA podcast. My name is Dan. I'm a co-host. Um, and I'm also a storyboard artist. I work in TV animation. Um, oh, wonderful. But uh, I'm mainly a fan of this movie, first and foremost. Um, but, you know, I might drift into, like, selfishly asking questions about... <laughs> what is it and the art and design everything's um, on the table so uh yeah great <laughs> okay so yeah this movie was a delight i want to say that up front to you first oh, thank um, you <laughs> it was um I, I knew very little going in i haven't read the book um but it was i felt straight away that we weren't going through the motions with this one um wasn't sure who to trust when and where <laughs> And then yeah. before I knew it, we were caught off guard by a, an insane gag. It seems like you have this fetish for car crashes every five seconds. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was fantastic. Um, so, as I said, this started as a book by Lois Lowry. Um, and what was the first moment for you when you realized The Willoughbys could be a movie? Um, when I met the producer, Luke Carroll, um, it was around 2015. He, uh, he, he, he had just optioned the book and Ricky Gervais was actually already attached as exec producer. So there was a bit of momentum on the project. Uh, when I read the book, um, immediately the thing that felt funny to me was how Lois Lowry was being really subversive about the tropes of children's literature. And, um, I, I pitched it back that what if we, pivot those tropes from literature to children's film and in that kind of hollywood elevator pitch it was like you know what if it was gray gardens meets arrested development for kids and i really love the idea of like exploring the independence of children uh, against the difficult backdrop and this idea of like you know uh, you know we, we we've seen a lot of disney movies where in the first 10 minutes there you know the 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 main character's orphaned and then they have to sort of learn how to speak animal or you know deal with their um freezing hands and stuff like that you know i I like the idea of like taking that trope and then flipping it on that on its head um i was also immediately attracted to the idea of a coming of age story where instead of running away from home the kids trick their parents and so that that sort of felt like a really funny like if you have a really strong comedy premise at the beginning of an idea then you know over four and a half years you can beat it up and go around a lot of the 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 journey of what it takes to make an animated film but if that comedy premise is is solid it's a good first step so the the book definitely had that i see so they had from the start the sort of because there's a lot of you know and i'm not being not in a sentimental way there was a lot there's a lot of heart to this movie Oh, good. That's genuine that's heart. <laughs> that comes across from how the characters treat one another and not through them telling each other face to face all the time, I love you, I love you, I love you. Um, yes, I appreciate that. <laughs> um, actually, what, what I do love about it is that it's a cartoon movie. I mean, I don't mean that in any derogatory sense. Sometimes. Oh, no, I take it as a, as a compliment. I, uh, I, do, I, do I love my... cartoons. <laughs> exactly. I mean, one of the things that, um, you know, if you look at... Uh, 
my career, I've been very lucky to work on a lot of different styles of films. Um, but like the ones that bounce up the most are the ones that sort of, I guess, you know, you're, you're an artist, so you, you know that, you know, when you get it, on a project where your your brain completely comes awake because it's like it's something that makes you laugh it also challenges you and i love the art form of of less is more and so you know i think anytime you can sort of dictate that conversation for me comes back to those 2d principles and, you know finding uh, the physical comedy and, and and pulling out stuff and making sure that the the statement is as clean as possible and if you can kind of reduce it down to a few lines and make it really sing that to me is like those moments of magic where it's like the art form is working mm, the sort of level of precision that yeah, yeah, it's and you see it all through. Like, it's like from design, like Craig Kelman's designs, they're so economic and so they, they tell so much story with without a lot of effort. You don't have to, you can just look at the lineup and kind of get a sense of where this movie's going to go. Um, so, like, maintaining that as you go through the process is a big challenge because the computer does a lot of stuff for free that you have to sort of fight against and make it kind of make it do less and, and, and sort of make the choices of the artist come forward. So I, I just think that was a, a huge part of the challenge. And, and when you get it right, it feels good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it looks, it doesn't, it, this is the thing, actually. It doesn't, there's obviously a very sort of strong stop motion influence um, with this yeah, of yarn hair. Yeah, yeah. Everything sort of has, I noticed there was like a nice tilt to like almost every doorway and it felt yeah. very handmade. Um, but actually the character animation couldn't be done in salt motion the way you've done it well i mean to, to be honest like i think really it's post to post animation so in a lot of ways it's 2d animation principles which is kind of you know key structure uh you know pulling frames out to really just hit poses uh you know animating on twos rather than and ones and and trying to do it without motion blur so it's like going back to those those hand-drawn days uh but it weirdly enough has a very stop motion feeling because there is gravity in the world and the fact that the textures are all heightened and that comes from kyle mcqueen wanting to make sure that's our production designer he wanted to make sure that every picture felt you know pretty and it had a sense of fun to it and this idea that it's a cat's point of view led us to this heightened world and um i really wanted to make sure that the darker subject matter was always being undercut by uh you know just the enjoyment of humor and and and, and, a, and a levity in the tone so this idea that you could go into a craft store and buy all the materials to make this movie felt immediately funny really early on and so we, we just committed to that and i think that combined with the 2d animation principles gives it that stop motion feeling it's a very unique feeling i don't think i've seen it done this way before um we also used a lot of depth of field to make sure that the camera felt miniature and that goes back to this idea of it being a cat's point of view so you know the audience hopefully as they watch the movie always know that this is a parable that this is not meant to be a documentary in any way shape or form so i think that also gives it that stop motion feeling that it feels small um right yeah no it, it's it's fantastic you you say that you know you had like the the hollywood elevator pitch which was yeah. <laughs> very much based on the the intersection of humor and heart and the sort of subversions that that were in the book mm -hmm. but i can't really imagine this playing in in a hollywood elevator because it's you know it's so um it's got some nice spiky edges 
that yeah. you might not expect. Was there a lot of, I mean, was there any like resistance to that that part of it? I mean, honestly, no, not not in any overt way. I mean, uh, Netflix when they came on board, we, I'd been on the film for about a year and a bit. Um, they uh, they picked it up you know as as it was and i remember one of the first things that we got in terms of a note from from the executives was like you know make sure the parents uh, stay rotten and i think they were uh, melissa cobb uh, you know always you know had that sort of you know streak in terms of like wanting to wanting to keep that role dolly kind of uh, texture to the story um i will say though as we went through the journey and you work in animation so there's always screenings and it's kind of like slow motion stand-up and it takes us five years to see if the joke hit um every time we screened i learned something and there were moments where the movie skewed uh in a way that was kind of meaner than i wanted it to be i always wanted the film to feel earnest and so finding that tone where it, it didn't pull off of the spiky bits, but it also gave you, um, I think that something to root for and making sure that the characters were, were earnest in the way that people could feel um, they're worth following. That, that was the biggest challenge of the story. So a lot of what we would react to was internal and trying to make sure that we were communicating it in the way that, that we wanted to. Right, yeah, the characters um, never feel like cartoons in themselves in that respect i think yeah. maybe what you're talking about is you know there's a there's an if the characters feel honest then you know these uh, these moments won't jar so much and, and really and it takes a while to find that you know i think you know at the beginning like the first drafts you're kind of like in the in the space of like thinking you understand the characters but it, you know it, the amazing journey of making these things is what you learn as you go and, um, you know, one of the things I, I really benefited from was having worked on a few movies with Chris Miller and Phil Lord and just their commitment to, to never, never shying away from, from self-revision and always trying to be the audience and making sure that you're challenging sort of that honesty. And, and I, I use the word honesty lightly because I don't know if we ever really can be honest, but I think there's that thing that you get when you go to actor or when you go to like an acting school, or whatever, where it's like, you know, try to not be you, try to be them. Like, I think the, the more you learn about them, the easier it is to kind of be, uh, I think faithful to that commitment as you as you go through the process, and so I think um, it's a really important thing to kind of stay on. And I think a lot of times you end up, you know, shifting and modifying a story for if you're if you're doing it for the characters. To me, that's where you can keep everybody invested as you go through the slings and arrows of production. That's 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 really fascinating. Thanks for that. Um, so I do want to talk a little bit about because. Um, as a British animator, I always feel very, you know, protective about our industry, even though it's a bit mm-hmm. smaller than obviously Hollywood and and even Canada. Um, this this movie was produced at Braun in in mm-hmm. Vancouver. Um, was it? I mean, was that a big? Was that an appeal to you um, and a draw? The idea of making a movie on home turf. Um. Well, Canada's a big country, so uh, home turf for me is is the east. Vancouver is in the West and it almost feels like a completely different world. So I think for, for there was an element of that at the beginning because I set up a little studio in my hometown of uh, London, Ontario. So I was in London, you're in London, uh, we have a River Thames and all that. But 
quite quite smaller population. Um, but I uh, that was uh, that was valuable at the very beginning because I could spend more time with my kids and I could be home more. But ultimately, I think you know when you're making these movies, especially in the way the world was before the pandemic, you, you would go where the work was. So it was it was my first film in Canada, and the thing that I was impressed. Uh, in terms of Vancouver was just the talent pool and how we were able to, you know, tap into, I think, an amazing community that is international. Like I had artists from all over the world, I had, you know, a handful of Brits, but like, you know, Australians and people from all over Asia, quite a few Americans, which surprised me in, in, in Vancouver. So it was a really, um, it was a really dynamic experience, uh, you know, making a movie there. Um, but I, I've actually worked in the UK quite a bit. I was at Ardman for a while, and I think Braun in Vancouver reminded me a lot of that experience in terms of it being, you know, a fairly small studio that had an, interna- an international crew. So it kind of felt like everybody was there from for college. You had that kind of really, I don't know. There's something kind of grassrootsy about a small place that that is really cool, and everybody was kind of in the same building. So a lot of ambient conversation was going on. Um, which was great for our creative process. Okay, I guess I, if you don't mind, I would like to ask a little question about like yeah, yeah. in relation to the pandemic. Um, I was speaking to my line producer the other day, um, and he asked anyone, "Do you know any recording studios in Wuhan? Because it seems like the only place that we'll be able to get post production done and voice recording." Yeah. Uh, if it's a, it's a it's a little bit of a, a sensitive question to ask, but I, I, I would be interested to hear your thoughts. Do you think animation can realistically continue to be made under these sorts of conditions? Uh, you know, I think it's going to be a challenge as as it will be for a lot of other industries. But if I were to say put animation against live action production, you know, there is more hope in our industry because I do think there's ways to record remotely. I think there's ways to, um, you know, put all the people who are, you know, in production into different rooms and still keep going. And I, I'm, I'm seeing that actually actively in, in, in the business right now uh, at, at various studios. And I think um, in a way it's not convenient and it's not necessarily the best thing for the creative process, but I do think it's possible. And I think if you compare it to a lot of other creative industries like theater or even like live music or, or, live action production they can't do that so in some ways i think our industry is positioned to be somewhat uh i think we can fill a lot of people's eyeballs and you know kind of like keep going during this so hopefully that um gets work out there for people and people in our industry can keep going but um it's hard to say Fantastic. Well, I I think that um, the Willoughby's will come as a, a massive treat to anyone who's missed. I hope so. <laughs> new movies and going out and 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 just getting a new movie in. We certainly didn't plan for a pandemic, but um, you know, I just hope people stay safe and you know, maybe maybe a good time to laugh. I don't know. Absolutely, I certainly did. Thank you very much, Chris. Thank awesome. you. Take Thanks, care. Dan. Very nice to meet you. Cool, that was awesome. And we'd just like to say a huge thanks to uh, well Netflix and also the team at Brigade Public um, yeah, Brigade Marketing and uh, for helping that interview come to fruition. So there we go. And now we are going to have a we're gonna we're gonna do our talk about the film. Yeah. <clears throat> the um, Willoughbys. The Willoughbys. And this is based on a 2008 novel by uh, Lois Lowry. 
And neither of us have read the book. Uh, had you heard of it? Had you heard of Loris Lowry? No and no. No, no. So we didn't have any familiarity with the source material. Um, and actually, this is a film that I've only recently found out existed. Um, <laughs> when, when the trailer came out, yeah. I, I think I remember vaguely there was a story about it, something to do with casting. And uh, we don't always, um, we don't, that's one thing we don't normally like post a story on because it's not, you know, it, they go, oh, Brad Pitt's doing a voice of this cartoon. It's like, that's not, yeah. that's not where our interest really interest us. So, so uh, I think it was just like, oh, Ricky Gervais is in this or something. And I, mm. I haven't heard of that. And then I forgot about it. And then the trailer <clears throat> came out. And we talked about it on the show because it was very interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was it was a unique uh, looking thing. Mm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I and it was like a nice. I remember it was just a nice surprise. It was like, oh, I didn't I didn't know about this one. Didn't we didn't know anything about it? And it was like a new film had like popped up out of the ground. Yeah, that's something that's cool about uh, like streaming things that things do pop up that you had no idea existed sometimes, and you you just get surprised popping up on your um, streaming service of choice. You're like, oh, what's this? And you you can actually do the thing where you watch a film where you don't know anything about it, which is always yeah quite quite a fun thing. You don't because there's not that many circumstances you can do that really because you've always seen trailers or whatever. But um, I think the normal place people get to do that is like a film festival. You just go, I don't know what this is, but I'm going to go and see it. And then sometimes it's like an amazing surprise. And uh, you, you can kind of do that with a lot of stuff on streaming services. And I think we kind of had a bit of that experience with this because we don't know the book. And we don't, we've seen the trailer, but we weren't really sure what to expect. And... It was a delightful surprise, I would say. <laughs> I think, I mean, I think that this movie is like, key, um, you know, it, it's, um, we're, we're going to be biased towards liking it. <laughs> um, uh, because it seems like it's both up, uh, it's, it's up both our alleys. Mm. You know, it's very sort of, um, as Chris himself said, sort of, steeped in a sort of um roll doll kind of deliciously grim um but funny sort of children's book kind of uh fantasy world which is sort of you know it's like adjacent to our own yeah um and it's a, it's a very funny cartoony film as well which is what you know which is what is in the interview and I love I love that about it that it's not trying to be prestigious in mm. in um you know uh uh in, in in restricting itself from being too many things it's mm-hmm. many different things and what's interesting is I think this is considered like the second official Netflix animated feature after Klaus because uh, mo- right. you know they most of the things they they might call them Netflix originals, but they're like 
acquired things or whatever. But right. with with Klaus, they actually put up the money for them to finish the film, even though it had been in production for ages. Uh, and I think, yeah, yeah, it's that is an interesting one. I don't know. I would call Netflix the distributor still. I mean, I, I think they were they were involved with both of those films very early on. Mm. Um, I feel it's important to remember that the studios um, it wasn't Netflix studios who made the film no this was uh, Bronner Animation in Canada yeah in Van- in Vancouver and I think Klaus was made in Spain mm-hmm. I don't know I, I, I think that that's uh, worth um, remembering because it's not as if they're cut from the same cloth Entirely, if you know, if you know what I mean. No, but I just—it's not the same as like um, Pixar or Sony Animation, where everything comes from one campus. Yeah, no, but what I—I was just thinking that it's interesting that they're both, you know, their first two like official animation releases are both ones that have unconventional animation styles. In oh, oh yeah, yeah. Because obviously Klaus was a beautiful 2D thing. And uh, if you haven't seen anything in the Wellabies, it is it is a CG animation, but you might not necessarily be able to tell that because it is um they've deliberately gone after the the look of stop motion. Uh, basically by one of the, one of the ways is uh, there's a variable frame rate in the animation, so it's it it doesn't look like as smooth as your average Pixar film or whatever. Um, and also, like, oh my God, the textures. <laughs> the textures. The yeah, textures. everything looks like it's a little... It, everything looks like it's a little model because mm. um, a, a lot of the characters have this, like, yarn hair. Yeah. And, and it gives everything this sort of sense of miniature scale. Yeah, and there's... um. Uh, there's pa- like the fire is made out of paper, um, mm-hmm. s- smoke and clouds is like made out of cotton wool, and uh, uh, yeah, and there's just textures everywhere, and it just looks beautiful. Um, there's sort of some stuff is sort of two D ish as well. I-, I thought the cat was sort of seemed more two D ish. Um, oh, I think there's a lot that felt two D ish to me actually. Um, like the animation, the character animation for one. Yeah, because it looks it looks um, stop motiony, but the way they move would not really be possible oh, yeah. in stop motion. Yeah, it's shaded yeah. in yeah. like stop motion lighting, but some of the poses are just pure two D uh, animation. I think I think Chris Pern worked on um, uh, Hotel Transylvania. Oh right, which I That's... think, along with Cloudy with the Chance of Meatballs, is probably like they're like they were like the first two features that toyed with this very like flat, purposefully flat uh, style mm-hmm. um, being applied to CG. Well, yeah. okay, I think we should start talking about. Um, I think I want to talk about like just my experience watching this film because. Like you're saying, Chris, it was the sort of thing that you get when you're um, there is that sense of discovery mm-hmm. where it was just popped out of the ground. And you didn't know it from Adam, and you didn't know what to expect going in. 
um, I had no idea what to expect. And when the film began, um, you know, it begins with uh, like Ricky Gervais as this cat sort of appearing and as a narrator. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there's a sort of a, a sort of inserted narrator that doesn't really influence the story too much, um, apart from one sort of meta moment when he absolutely does. There's, um, all, there's actually a couple of moments. Oh, really? Um, oh, yeah. oh, yeah. He becomes, yeah, he becomes like part of their family, I guess. But... Yeah, he becomes a character, really. Um, the it reminded me of the narration. Reminded me of. Uh, Gonzo Charles Dickens in the Muppet Yes, yes. Which is obviously always a positive, if you remind me of the Muppets. Um, but yeah. one, mm-hmm. of the, they, one of the things they actually said is that they've imagined that the film is from the cat's eyes, cat's eye views, and that's kind of why it looks the way it does. Yes. Yeah. That's supposed to be like the cat's idea of the world. <laughs> Oh, I see. So everything appears sort of exaggerated because it is. Oh, I see. That's very interesting. Mm. Yeah. So like it began, it began and I just didn't know what film I was watching. I had no idea um, because, you know, when you watch like a new animated film, when I watch a new animated film from America um, and I, I counted I can't Canada in this kind of. Um, Sorry, Canadians. Well, <laughs> North America, right? Yeah. Um, uh, that's that's what I meant by that comment. I wasn't being anywhere near as ignorant as I sounded. <laughs> I hope. Um, I kind of think like, okay, like where are the edges going to be sanded off? Like it looks very interesting. I was immediately in love with the visual style of the film. Which is like you know we described already, and and very much did um, have similar sensibilities to me of like cloudy with a chance of meatballs, mm-hmm. um, which was I think a very big film for um, for Chris Pern. Um, he was the head of story on uh, Cloudy One and Cloudy with a Chance of Meatballs Two. He directed. Um, yeah, I just didn't know what sort of movie it was. I was like, okay, well, we've been introduced to like this main character, this um oh my goodness, I've forgotten his name. Uh, Tim. Tim. Yeah. Uh and I'm just like, okay, I don't really know if he's he's kind of comes from this bad family. Is he is it like the Adams family? Are they all like this? Uh, and then it sort of became clear that no, these kids were sort of being um, neglected, for want of a better word. Um, but it was all being, pre- but and and it was all being presented in this very sort of comic fashion. And I haven't had that feeling watching a film for a very, very, very long time. I guess Matilda <laughs> is like the keystone for me of you know, this is actually a very upsetting thing that is happening, but it's being presented entirely through this sort of lens that makes it light, but doesn't make light of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and once I realized that was what was going on, I was really intrigued. I was like, oh, wow. Like, you know, because 
again, like it's a Netflix film, and I was thinking, okay, how far are they going to go with this? Because I don't think this is the story that <laughs> that DreamWorks, for instance, or no. or, or uh, honestly any other major um, uh, uh, US uh, animation studio would go for. The only one I could think of was possibly Leica. Yes, that's actually a very good shout. Yeah. Um, but, you know, even so, it's it's it felt like a risk, and I really appreciated that it was taking those sorts of risks with just plainly stating, yeah, these characters are very unlikable, and that's mm. what they're about. <laughs> um, and as they yeah, keep saying, and, they are terrible parents. Right, yes. The, the, yeah, the Willoughby's are terrible parents. They're called mother and father. And they yeah. call each other mother and father, which is not in any way creepy. It um, creeped me the hell out. I thought it was like that. Who's that US senator who calls his wife mother? Oh, <laughs> God. I'm thinking of that. Mike Pence, is it? Is it Mike Pence? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> uh, yikes. The, yeah. Um, yeah, it's very creepy. But the film kind of goes there with it, and it's not creepy on accident it's creepy because it wants to say hey this is weird right i sort of the point in the film where i realized oh this is kind of you know gonna go to some places that maybe i didn't expect was um in the flashback scene at the beginning where a baby is born off camera and there's just this tremendous squelch sound (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's like whoa that. okay that's uh, that's a big i think i missed that yeah it's a proper pg is what yeah. we're saying like well, I... in the way that i remember pgs being like actually all the roald dahl movies mm, it's it said it said on the version i on our preview version i don't know if this might have yeah. changed it said 12 in the uk which I thought it's a bit over the top, but that is over the top. No, I yeah. I, I was told it was a PG for okay. something for um definitely a PG in the US, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's a PG. Okay, um, it doesn't say what for. It sometimes it pops up and it says what it's for. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think it was. I think one of them was like rude humor. And I'm like, oh, yeah, great. I love it when it, <laughs> when a kid's movie squelch. has rude humor, you know it's going to be good squelch. Yeah, exactly. Rated PG um, for squelch. Yikes. <laughs> um, <laughs> references to violence. Um, and yeah. I think a bereavement theme, it says. Yeah, because, yeah, this is what it is. They We've are not talked trying... about the premise of the story. No, no. Sure. Yeah. They um their their parents are terrible, so they decide that they want to become orphans. They want to orphan themselves, as they put it. So yeah, these kids are basically talking about killing their parents. But um, that's such a funny way of putting it. I want to orphan yeah, myself. Yeah, I love that. Um, and that is sort of in the references to violence because they're like, there's there's a bit of a comedy misunderstanding bit but they uh, they decide to send them off on a holiday that they've 
they design themselves. So I don't know how the itinerary would work exactly. Because uh, <laughs> they just create this thing and send it on the most dangerous tour in the world. Ending, of course, in, and this is one of the good running jokes, Switzerland is how they say it every time anyone <laughs> mentions it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, on this on this mountain, which is <laughs> it, it's funny. It's a, they introduce the mountain in a funny way with a funny camera move. Mm, That's the type just, of film this is, where a it, camera move telling you how tall a mountain is is really really funny because it just does this thing where it's um, where the camera whizzes up this mountain, but it takes a good. 10 15 seconds to get to the top yeah this is i think it's fair to say this isn't just kids movie funny it's actually funny you know like cloudy was so <laughs> oh like, yes yeah. yeah yeah and it and it's um I, you know i think we spoke about this in the interview but it 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 doesn't let it get in the way of the story somehow like but it absolutely is funny first and foremost is is you know it wants you to have a good time mm. but some some of the jokes like you know this sort of constant car crash thing <laughs> is really really funny yeah yeah no i <laughs> just i love that how that escalated and it just like ended with a bus being dropped from the sky on from nowhere uh yeah no I, I i love that so the kids they they want to offer themselves and they make this this um this holiday from hell basically um but just as they get rid of their parents they find out that they had a babysitter arranged for them yeah because even though they're terrible apparently they're not terrible enough to um not hire any childcare, although they are terrible enough to say, well, we're not going to order a good one. Uh, we're going to order a cheap one. So. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. So they, uh, yeah. Uh, after completely f- failing at looking after themselves and freezing and eating old lobsters from the wall. <laughs> um <laughs> that was disgusting when he cuts into it and it just disappears into a pile of into a puff <laughs> it's so disgusting um i mean that's the kind of that, that that's you know that flavor of the film is uh kind of what i love the most that feels like the sort of you know the sort of kids literature that i go mm. for the sort of roll doll um Neil Gaiman sort of uh, uh, series of unfortunate events. Yeah, I I thought of Lemony Snicket as well. Kind um, of feeling, yeah. Yeah, They're, and we should probably mention like their house is, um, you know, a really old-fashioned uh, sort of mansiony thing uh, with sort of your know, classic. Um, gothic mansion thing. With yeah, Matrix. it's kind of, I mean, early on, early, early, early on in the film, like the first sort of 10 minutes, I was like feeling, oh, right, this is what I think I wanted the Adams Family movie to be yeah, that, I, I haven't, that I haven't seen. 
Yeah, I was I, getting strong Barry Sonnenfeld, Adam's Family vibes. Do, do you know, I actually had the thought when I was, I rewatched it today, and I thought, you know, this makes me f- wish that Chris Pern had directed the anime, the Adam's Family animated movie instead of whoever. Right. I've not seen that one, to be no, fair. No, it, could, it could be good, but it doesn't, none of the, um, uh, none of the uh, trailers I saw really grabbed me. Although, yeah, so. When people complain about the character designs, or whatever, they are basically the original comic design, so <laughs> you can't really complain about that. Yeah, but yes. this uh, this mansion, this old fashioned house, is in the mid. It's in the middle of like skyscrapers either side, like like uh, Gremlins Two or like the beginning of Up. Uh, <laughs> mm. That's kind of sort of a classic uh, children's thing. It's a good gag. Yeah, it's a good gag. I like, yeah, it's very, um, so w- when I'm talking about like a cartoon movie, mm. I mean like a thing that isn't um, beholden to logic. Yeah. And it has story logic and character logic, but it's like, it's not going to get hung up on, like you're saying, Chris, the, yeah, this, it, it, they're in between skyscrapers and that just, that's just is the case. It's sort of like this fairy tale reality. You almost, when that happens, you're kind of thinking, oh, well, the story's going to be that someone wants to come and knock down the house. Because <laughs> it always is when they live in a house like oh, that. Oh, yeah, you thought, yeah, I thought it was going to be that too. I thought it was going to be a, you can't be stuck in the past sort of mm. story, but that's kind of not really what it's saying. Um, so they get this babysitter hired for them. And I see what I love about the film is its restraint you know, for a good 15 minutes, it feels like, like we're saying, like it's got this very strong gothic um, Adam's family vibe and they're all inside the house. And then almost about 15 minutes into the film, um, uh, this baby arrives. That's actually before the, the babysitter comes. Which is, so yeah, sorry, before the babysitter comes, this baby arrives and they try and look after it and um, it goes terribly because the parents aren't interested in looking after it. The kid's trying. Um, but like the film is all inside the house and it's all very dark and it's very mm. sort of, it's it, the film is declaring it's this. And then um, uh, at, at one point when the father uh, kicks them all out. We are backtracking the story, but yeah. the father kicks them all out, and suddenly the film's palette just changes yeah. completely. And the outside world is this like very colorful place with all the colors you can imagine, with rainbows, with with friendly shafts of light and everything. And it's it's a sort of like a Kimmy Schmidt kind of yeah, that's good uh, show. Yeah, you know, situation uh, where. Um, Tim, who's never known life outside this house, thinks it's going to be terrible, but it's actually, you know, the world is actually a pretty colourful place. Uh, is presenting itself as that. And they don't know anything about the, you know, the technology or whatever in the real world because they, their parents don't give them any. So they basically grew up just reading stuff in the library. That's all they, they know. Uh, yeah. Huge library, by the way, very messy. Um, but yeah, they don't know what anything is really. So that comes, there's that 
as well. Yeah, but the the thing about the baby is that they they take the baby out, and this is what basically inspires them to come up with their plan in the first place because they um, end up delivering the baby uh, to this. Um, and this is also kind of another uh, Dalish sort of thing. It's like, a, as they would say in America, a candy factory. We'd say, I guess, a, a sweet factory or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they decide to take it there because they think it looks like a nice home. And there's uh, chubby ducks there, which is great. Um, I love the chubby ducks. They are brilliant. They're just, they're just like one of the best sort of like cartoon creations in the film. Just yeah, yeah. Brilliantly round ducks. Um, and uh, yeah, and they go there and they meet the owner of the factory, who is basically, he is like a, a mascot, but alive. He's the, like a giant sweet man. Uh, Americans won't understand this reference, I don't think, but he's Bertie Bassett, basically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, I didn't even think of that. Yeah. Yeah. Who's uh, like a mascot on these um, sweets called Licorice All Sorts. And, uh, and, 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 he's a, made... uh, and a Doctor Who villain. Yeah, that which really freaked me out, freaked I think, when I was younger. Still freaked yeah. me out. Yeah. <laughs> um, but he yeah he's sort of like you'd think he's he's just the mascot but he's actually an an actual guy yeah it's sort of like the colonel sanders thing yeah uh but he's still there and he's still making making sweets yeah all by himself apparently <laughs> um uh, yeah. uh, so he, he he's called melanoff colonel melanoff Voiced by the awesome Terry Crews. Yes. All, okay, so despite what we were saying earlier, all of the performances in this movie I think are amazing. The voice performances. Mm. They're... Yes. Um, I just think they're excellent. They've got a really great um, mix of unbelievably silly and cartoony which I think is probably best defined by um, uh, by uh, by Martin Short um, and Jane Krakowski as mother and father. Mm. They're doing just, like really exaggerated posh English accents, just which killing it. yeah doesn't really make any sense, seeing as there it seems to be in North America at least. Uh, <laughs> it doesn't. It doesn't make sense, but it absolutely makes sense because it's like. You get it. You get who they are. You get who they yeah. think they are. And yeah, um, yeah, I, I, um, I really dug that. And um, interestingly enough, so like, so, so, so they've they're doing like the big stuff, and Will Forte is uh, Tim. Mm-hmm. And I can't remember the last time a sort of almost fifty-something-year-old man convincingly voiced a young boy. <laughs> in a movie <laughs> um but he does it fantastically and he's got like the full range of you know um very big cartoony stuff and very character um you know very sort of uh quieter character uh moments down fantastically well um i think maya rudolph is probably my favorite 
Mm. She plays the nanny. Uh, yeah. Um, so I guess uh, we can probably use that to segue into the nanny arrives. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking through the film. So the and nanny the, arrives. Yeah. Who's supposedly a bad nanny, but she isn't. <laughs> uh, she's, she's just a nice person. Yeah. And she's, she's got a great design. She's Her angel. heart, her hair is a heart. Yes. yes. So that she casts a shadow over them and it looks like, oh, there's a big heart. Yeah, no, it's it's excellent. And yeah, that's like, that's the movie. It's... Mm. <laughs> 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 that, 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 yeah, that's that's the movie. It's that movie where for one gag <laughs> like that, the she's... But she, but she is kind of like a big heart. Yeah. For kids who have never really known love. Yeah. And she's sort of bigger and larger than life and and that, that suits the character. And, yeah. yeah. That, but yeah. like Tim's kind of suspicious of her. Mm. Because, I mean, and, and this is where it becomes an interesting film for me because... It's still playing, you know, these very nice big moments, and it's very entertaining in a very um, straightforward way on one level. But on another, it's it's this very, uh, you know, it's it's this pretty um, realistic yeah. uh, character story about what would happen to a kid who was, um, for, for all intents, for you know, for all intents and purposes, abused and neglected. Mm. Uh, when he encounters unconditional love, he's suspicious and he starts, you know, um, uh, being convinced that she's working for um, for his, their parents and trying to brainwash them. Yeah, well, because every adult he's met sucked. <laughs> so he's like, yeah, right. here's another adult, she must suck. Um, the um, the others take to her more easily, but Tim is very suspicious. We haven't even talked about the other the other children. Oh, okay. Yeah, the other yeah. children. Um... Yeah. So there's there's Jane, which is the younger sister, mm-hmm. um, is voiced by a um, a first time actress because uh, she's a, she's a um, better known as a a pop star, um, Elisa Cara. I think that's how you say it, or Alicia, Alicia Cara, um, and she she does sing quite a bit. Uh, just she just she's got yeah. this little song she sings, and she changes the words throughout the film. Uh, she apparently knows one one tune, and she sings it a lot. Um, and obviously, she can sing quite well because she's a well, she can sing very well because she's a she's a musician, um, and it's her first uh, voice role or act acting role of any sort really apart from like music videos and she's really good as well and then um there's the uh, the younger twins who are both called barnaby which is like a perfect thing of the parents that they have two twins and they're like uh, barnaby what's the other one uh, barnaby again <laughs> there's the, 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 the yeah there's a joke sometimes there's a joke at one point where they they might be called barnaby B A and Barnaby B. Yeah, I don't know why it couldn't be obviously they've it's right there. They could be Barna A or Barney A and Barney B. But 
but they don't go there. They just go Barnaby A, Barnaby B. Like, yeah, and the film, like, kind of, yeah, like it says, don't worry about it. Like, you'll know that these are the Barnabys, and they kind of behave like a, you know, they, they behave in tandem. Yeah, anyway. you, you don't know which one's which. It, <laughs> they, yeah, they, that's the point. They switch. If they switched, uh, it wouldn't matter. And obviously, the same person voices them both, so... And it's not the film where it's going to ask you to pay attention to that. It's just, it's having fun with it. It's a very big um, sort of visual idea. It's it's quite, um, and I don't mean this in any like, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm always careful of using this comparison, um, but it's similar to like a Wes, Wes Anderson film in how it uses uh, very, very, you know, um, simplified representations of things to get an idea across. Mm -hmm. And it will let itself be a heightened reality if it needs to be. And it will let it be a more down-to-earth reality if it needs to be. Yeah. I, I, for me, that's kind of to find a little bit in the, in the scene when uh, with the with the uh, with the coal bin, and the coal bin is sort of this this thing which is at first like this sort of, you know, that, that's my lot in life, the coal bin kind of feeling, and then seen through the eyes of uh, Nanny, it's it's incredibly sad when. Um, when prospective uh, uh, buyers are there, <laughs> are there trying to buy the, the the home and they're trying to scare them off. Mm. Yeah. So, there. And it's all the same set and it's the same idea. And it's just being seen through different perspectives, different eyes of different characters. And yeah, I really like that the film is not afraid to go to all these different places. Yeah, it's... That's a, another way it's sort of like stop motion in, in that they use the same location a lot. Like in in a stop motion film, it'd be because they've only got so many sets or whatever. But um, but they 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 deliberately film it as if it's a set anyway, and there's not a lot yeah. of there's not a lot of uh, camera moves that w- would uh, not be possible in. Oh, I think it's probably because it's very much the same way. I mean, it's definitely not as high budget as uh, some other animated films. Mm-hmm. Um, but it uses all of that to its strengths. And uh, I, don't, I don't mind it. I don't think it's any lesser for that fact. No. So they try and get rid of the nanny. Uh, and uh, this involves uh, a, a catapult or a nano, nanoport um, <laughs> Built by the Barnabys, um, only obviously. Oh, it does work. Uh, um, it only throws Tim out or against the wall. Um, and then I, th- I think this is the point where they they say something about the um, the baby that they found, and uh, she's like, "You found a baby, and you just got rid of it." So, and obviously, because of because of who she is, she has to find out what happened to this orphan baby. So they, they then, then we return to the factory. <laughs> and this is sort of where we find out that uh, 
that um, he is a mascot because she's like, wait, he's real? <laughs> Commander Melanoff is a real person <laughs> and he's looking after a baby and uh, yeah, the baby called Ruth because by giving it away, they are being ruthless is the joke, you see. And uh, then, then we get a brilliant sequence with the baby in the sweet factory uh, yes. being Pac-Man, like from above. It's brilliant, that bit. Um, <laughs> and, and, yeah, and then we sort of like get a check-in with the parents on their, on their deadly cruise. Yeah, and they're just causing chaos everywhere they go. For other in, people. This, in, a, in a sort of Mr. Magoo sort of style fashion. Yeah, where nothing happens to them. Just everyone around, including like this big fat guy in every area who looks the same, um, but is <laughs> is apparently a different guy because uh, there's like there's one in like Amazon, there's one in Switzerland. Uh, you know, everywhere they go, there's like mm. the guy who's got the same design, and something happens to him. Uh, like he gets uh, thrown in the Amazon with piranhas, or he gets uh, crushed by an avalanche, or that sort of thing. Yeah, and uh, yeah, this is, uh, is this when they decide to sell the house because someone tells them about the internet <laughs> and they uh, they use the phone from that, the, the big fat guy who fell in the river or whatever and uh, they put, put it on market and then all these people show up at the, at the house and they go home alone on it and try and scare them all off. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I like this. At this point, I'm like, I'm appreciating the film because I'm thinking, oh, it's, um, oh, and 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 around this point, Tim is slowly warming to Nanny, mm-hmm. in his own sort of very, um, uh, indirect sort of way. Um, and uh, I like this because it, it does actually sort of feel more like the sort of story where that you get from a from a book, children's book, where you have these little episodes that are sort of adding up to a bigger story. But it doesn't feel like it has the, um, to me at least, the sorts of um, predictable beats. No, yeah. Lots of other animated films have basically. Yes. Um, even though he's warming to her, earlier he did ring phone. He did ring the orphan services and say that they are being troubled by a bad nanny. And then the orphan services show up, and they are incredibly sinister. And uh, well, he suspects that. Because there's a sort of um, a misheard conversation with with uh, her, her between nanny and the parents. Yeah, when when they put the house on the market, they say, "Oh, she says I can take care of the children," and they they see this message and oh, they're going to take care of us, as in you know, <laughs> yeah, office, yeah. yeah. And so, so he calls up the um, the authorities, and then, like after they're all starting to bond, 
that's when they show up in their their sinister yeah. vehicles and they, they they kind of look sort of men in blackish sort of they're obviously supposed to be you know, yeah they move but they move with the sort of um is, is, is autonomy the word of of like the agents from from the matrix yeah because a hive mind yeah they're, they're like a collective thing they're all only we we find out that one of them knows the nanny <laughs> they're, they're like head person who I, yeah. I i can't quite work out if it's a man or a woman it sounded like a woman but it seemed to have a mustache i was like i'm not quite sure but um yeah, yeah, they, a sort of Annie, very Annie Lennox kind of thing. Yeah, very um, androgynous, but somehow they knew the nanny. Right. Mm. So they come and live with uh, your respective foster parents. Yeah, and um, basically Tim is the one who doesn't get on well and ends up going to lo- running away or going to loads of different foster parents, and we have a montage. And we see with different families, include, including a, um, a a gay couple at some point, it seems. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, and then he, he ends up in uh, a kind of ju- juvie, but it's it's called something like the, it's it's like an orphan prison. Yeah. It's horrible. <laughs> for, for orphans who, who can't find a home, I guess, or yeah. don't get on with a home. They just yeah, put but, but, that, but that, that, that's again like that's something in this movie where it's not worried that you're going to be upset by that it's like look you know these characters by now mm. you know that we're not making light of this um, but it's not going to be entirely depressing but again it's just like a, I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen an animated film that's had a scene where someone has tried to break out of an orphan jail <laughs> uh you know and it's a very nice like sort of classic um jail breakout kind of scene where she's trying to sneak him smuggle him out in a what is it a, a porridge cart yeah this is where the, where the nanny shows up in disguise as phil which is basically just her with a mustache or <laughs> her hair tied around to make a beard or something and um, in like an overalls, and she comes in. I, ca- I can't imagine how he doesn't recognise her straight away, but that's the kind of film this is, where yeah. someone comes in who is yeah. clearly the nanny, and he's like, oh, I don't know who this person is. Oh, go away. They're like, ah, it is me. <laughs> oh, what a surprise. <laughs> yeah, and sneaks into the porridge cart, and then we have yeah, a bit of a chase sequence. Of course, ending with lots of cars crashing. Yes. Obviously, that's what happens. And, and then uh, we, we, um, then we uh, pick up the other children on, in some, some way. I can't remember quite exactly how it happens. <laughs> Do you remember? Um, uh, not going to lie, really. I mean, I guess eventually um, what happens, they, they all... Uh, I don't know. I, I think Nanny basically decides to take them under her wing. Yeah. She sort of takes them all back and she's like, I'm not letting you kids go. And by this mm. point, the parents are in Switzerland. No, Sorry, no, no. Switzerland. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, 
And they, the only way, see, and in a sort of very nice, you know, like you were saying, like we're using not just sets, but locations and ideas. They don't go, we're going to go to the airport. They go, we're going to go to uh, Melanoff and ask him to build us a dirigible out of sweets. Oh, sorry, dirigible. Dirigible. Yeah. Which obviously makes perfect sense for some reason. Um, Because basically Tim decides (laughs) that the only way they're going to stay together because they get separated by the orphan services reluctantly the only way they're going to stay together is if they rescue their parents. So they are going to go to Switzerland in a dirigible made of sweets. Um, <laughs> and it works. And, yeah. it, and it not only it, it floats and it holds together and it doesn't, doesn't break. But they, they sneak off without the adults um, when they're not watching. To go on well, by, by this point, it's sort of like they they're, they're very selfless in a way. Yeah. Um. They recognise that um that Ruth and Nanny and Melanoff make a pretty happy family. Yeah. And they sort of feel as though well, they found each other. They're going to be okay. Um, and it's it's all very bittersweet because mm. they feel. As though they still have to go back to being Willoughby's with their yeah. parents. And we get uh, a beautiful flight sequence with the dirigible. Oh, it's excellent. I see yeah, this is then this is where I'm thankful that it's a cartoon movie. Mm. Um because it's all very um fantastical. Yeah. Cause there's a rainbow rainbow sort of fluffy rainbow cloud. And it all looks like it's made out of cotton wool, and it's just beautiful. <laughs> but meanwhile, our, the parents have been frozen under a, under a um, avalanche. <laughs> right, that's what happens. <laughs> uh, yeah, basically, yeah. Oh, they fill up at they fill up at a. Um, I like them. They fill up at a petrol station. But they fill up on sugar. Yeah. Because <laughs> it's it's powered by sweets. Yeah. It's a good gag. So yeah, they, they get caught in like an avalanche and uh mm. it's all blizzard, right? And the uh the kids follow them across Europe. Yep. Uh, and they eventually make it to where the parents in it's in a very sort of the shining style uh you know, just freeze. Yeah. Out in, well, are they they're being uh, romantical. They're just having a bit of a smooch because that's what they do all the time. Because they're obsessed, and that's all they they interested in is each other and knitting. In mother's case, apparently, um, yeah. So they're frozen, and then um, the the Willoughby children come come to get them. Oh, because oh, hang on, we're missing a bit. Um, but we're missing one of my favorite gags of the film, which oh, is when okay. Barnaby Barnaby is um is uh is up on the dirigible, looking through um uh, sort of uh, binoculars, uh, uh no through a telescope, um going oh look a Willoughby hair, 
<laughs> and it zooms in on this sort of oh. bit of yarn. Yeah. And, they go, and, and they're recognizing that it's, that it's mum and dad. And it goes, human fibers, silky smooth, father's tardigrades. Yeah. <laughs> That's these, just so random. There are these tardigrades uh, that they can see somehow <laughs> through, the, through the telescope. And, and one of them knitting. And um, yeah. Uh, yeah. It's just, it's great. But but they're all kind of, uh, and this is where I, I, I'll talk to, I'll talk to it again. The film is pretty remarkable because it's very, it's, it's operating on that level where it's very silly. Mm. It's operating on the other level right now where I'm thinking, oh, these are like, you know, in every sense of the word, like a Stockholm syndrome situation with these kids, where they think um, that their parents love them in some way, <laughs> still, and that and that their opening of their hearts, mm. um, you know, that was helped by people in the world like Nanny, um, and Melanov, and just seeing the kindness that exists in the world. Well, they just assume that the parents are going to be open to that, um, mm. and it's uh, it's great because they're all helping each other. Yeah. Um, but I guess we're we getting close. I mean, it feels like we're getting close to the climax. Yes. Um, but the film, uh, in a way, like really slows down at this point, and mm. um. The parents are basically found by them eventually, and the Tim steps forward and he's like, "Oh, we come to your rescue." Um, and the parents aren't at all pleased to see them. No, they're like, "Where, where, where, are, where do you come from?" Sort of thing. They're not um, at all impressed that they managed no. to get to where they were going. Yeah, you'd think these are small children. Like the oldest is twelve or whatever, and they have come to Switzerland on a dirigible made of sweets. You'd think that'd be impressive, but no, apparently not. And then this very sort of like heart broken moment. Yeah, uh, uh, Tim finds this sort of what seems to him like a fair compromise. He's like, well, mm. we you need us to help you get down this mountain. And once we're through, we need you so we, the us will be children, can be together. So we don't even want love, but will you be our parents again? And uh, the movie, um, I mean, this is, I guess, what for me is like probably the biggest spoiler in the film, mm. uh, does this amazing fake out. Mm. where you think oh they're going to be redeemed mm. but of course no like the movie has very very clearly you know from the start told us how horrible these people are and that mm. horrible horrible people exist in the world and that horrible people um sorry that horrible people don't ever change mm. and um that was when I was like, oh, this film is has gone from very good to great for me because yeah. it's uh, 
it's it's doing what everyone talks about doing that you very rarely see happening which is a film that isn't talking down to children in the audience mm. yeah and, and is very very uh very confident and happy to say yeah there are horrible people and they're shits and they yeah. won't change and that's part of life and you know and it's not even saying the sooner you learn this the better it's saying you know that mm. Yeah, it's basically saying you can't just change someone with a heartfelt speech. That's just no. uh, that, and you're kind of expecting that to happen because that's what movies do normally. They're like, oh, no, they're going to turn up. I don't know. They're going to have their Grinch redeeming moment. Yeah. They're going. Their heart's going to grow three sizes that yeah. day or whatever. But they're like, no. We don't like you children. We've never liked you children. We're going to go and steal your dirigible. Yes. So they yeah, and they steal it and they, they, they see to themselves. And then they apparently crash. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was delighted. Yeah. And they go, oh, I guess we are orphans now for real. But we're stuck here because our dirigible is destroyed and we are in Switzerland. But we are together, at least. So then, they are covered by snow. And, oh, it looks like it is over for the Willoughby children. The Willoughby name. And then the film falls back all the way. And the, yeah. the narrator comes back in. and It's, uh, yeah, you, anything can, it feels like anything can really happen at that point. And, yeah, that's why I like the movie, because it really, uh, it really um, spends time time on, on, on these moments and it spends time on really sitting with the characters and uh, and and not being afraid of sitting in their pain mm. yeah I, I love it but of course that's not going to be the very end of the film because that that would, that would be a bit a bit too much and right. of course you know what's going to happen of course, Nanny <laughs> and and uh, Ruth and well, uh, you're hoping for it, but I didn't know that it was going to happen. Mm. Even I honestly didn't know where it was going at this point. Um, but yeah, Nanny and Melanophori, yay! They come to save the day, and yeah, and they're going to be a happy family. Yeah, and it's uh, it's um, it's ends where it feels like it needs to with a. Nice unconventional, unconventional family unit, um, including the narrator cat. Yeah, so that's a Willoughby. I guess we kind of just talked through the story there, but it's yeah. uh, that's um, that's the movie, and I mean that's enough reasons why I love it. Really. Yeah. Um, I don't think uh, there's there's too much else I really want to add to. I mean, what we've already talked about on top of the. Uh, the great interview that we that we have in there. Um, I was going to ask what you thought of the narration. Right, um, I can take it or leave it. I'm unfortunately Ricky Gervais is one of those people for me now who. Um, I like the I like that there is narration, but mm. it, Ricky Gervais is one of those voices where it's just like I just think of Ricky. Gervais, I'm not thinking that's a cat. No, well, it's Actually, just... if if anything, it's the one 
it sticks out for me because it's the one voice in the movie that doesn't feel like a, much of a performance. But it, it just sounds like Ricky Gervais being Ricky yeah, Gervais. Yeah, and it's like, I know Maya Rudolph's voice and I know mm. Terry Crews' voice and I recognise, I even recognise Martin Short, but they all kind of disappeared into the characters. Mm. Into a very uh, nice servicing sort of way that serviced the story, but yeah, it didn't really... um didn't really do that for me yeah yeah Ricky Gervais was he, he just himself completely and uh, I obviously that's why they cast him they wanted right no, he, I, I think he, what he does for audiences is he sort of one tells you that it's to expect this sort of sarcastic British tone which I think mm. is kind of important to try and get you on board tonally so it did help me with that. Um, but yeah, I mean, Ricky Race himself, I, yeah, like I said, I could take a leave. Yeah, I, I like the character, actually. I thought yeah. it, it was fun, the way, the way he sort of weaved in the story. And uh, also, the, um, there are some great sort of cat bits where he's just like, yeah, I'd like to get in that box, sort of thing. Um, which, uh, oh, yeah, yeah, that's very sweet. Yeah, which is fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, think, I, think, I think, I guess... Um, Maybe this is a case where his sort of over-naturalistic matter-of-factness in his every single one of his performances didn't quite... felt a bit out of place to me. Yeah, I always find, like, when he does voice performances, it's, it's distracting because it's just... Yeah. It's just Ricky Gervais. It's not... You know, which he's is... Not, yes, he's not really acting. <laughs> that sounds horrible to say, but it's like Woody Allen. It's just like, well, you're just being... Woody Allen. Obviously, I would I would just say he he can he can do a performance because you know there's some great acting in the office, the original office. No, stuff. that's very yeah. But just in this case, he's just not really mm-hmm. he's not really doing much of a performance. It's 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 not. I'm not saying it's bad. It's just it's just what it is. And uh, some people, you know, if you're a real Ricky Gervais hater. You might find it annoying. I can I can see, but the rest of the movie is so great that even if you are a, a hater, I think you should watch it because yeah, I, I I'm thoroughly recommending it to everyone. Um, and yeah, in a weird sort of way, I guess it's a uh, it's a godsend that there aren't any cinemas open open for this movie um, because it feels as though um, yeah, it it felt like a real treat. Yeah. It's going to be like one of the free animated movies we get in 2020. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and all all the better for it, I think. Um, in in this movie's case, yeah. Um, so, yeah, did you have any final thoughts other than that, or are you? Do you think we're done? I think I've been pretty clear. I like the movie. I think other people should see it. <laughs> That's the end yes. of, and I want to watch it again now that I've in, now that I've watched it and I've kind of. You know, I, like I was kind of saying with uh, Onward last week, like now that I've seen it, I can enjoy it a lot the second time. Yeah, I, I am. Um, I, I have watched it twice, and it was, yeah. If anything, it was kind of better the second time, even because yeah, I was just like really appreciating the the jokes and stuff because yeah, I guess you know, after sort of, I guess the first time I was sort of like just 
bathing in the animation like going, mm. oh it looks so great i love it and then yeah, yeah. this time sort of the jokes more hit me yeah, as, a, as an as a also like as an animator it's just it's going to be one way to just get in there and study all of it yeah there was there was um there was something that you said to me like when we were talking off i can't say off mic because it was still on a mic but it wasn't recording um <laughs> you know what i mean um yeah uh, where you, you said room. yeah where you said basically that it looks like its own art book yes yes oh yeah absolutely um yeah that's a delight right mm. is the whole sort of the fact that it feels um uh it's okay i keep on like doing this thing where i'm like i run into a word i run up to a word and i'm like oh is it is this the right word i want to yeah. say unf- and I, I turns out I do. I want to say unfettered. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's un, it's unfettered by the 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 laws that sand the edges off everything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> in in lots of other animated films, at least. Cool. I mean, what's more, there's nothing more to say other than, uh, uh, you know, get get to Netflix mm. and um, stay at home. <laughs> yeah. Get thee to Netflix and and watch the Willoughby's because it's great. And mm. uh, I will definitely be paying attention to where Chris Pern's career goes next after this, um, because if he does more writing and directing, I think you know it'll be exciting to to see what comes. Oh next. yeah! Oh yeah! Absolutely! Yeah. yeah. Nice one. Cool. Well, uh, take care, and uh, I'll uh, I'll see you soon, Chris. Mm. Um, just just before we go, uh, where can we find you online, Dan? Um, you can find me online on Twitter at Hamu H A W M O. Okay, and you can find me at Mister Crystal on Twitter, and you can find. Animation for Adults on Twitter at AFA Blog. You can also follow us on Facebook, on Pinterest, on Instagram, and on Tumblr. Uh, if you would like to help us out uh, making more animated content, both in the podcast and on the website, uh, you can either become a patron. And uh, if you, if you uh, become a patron at the $5 level, uh, you can even open up a vault of unpublished material uh, previously unpublished on AFA a bunch of whole extra reviews and uh, articles that are all about animation and games and you can also make a you can buy us a virtual coffee using our Kofi account or you can make a donation via PayPal and that would be great Uh, if you can't do that then obviously we understand no problem no pressure uh, but if you do want to um, help us out in another way that doesn't cost any money, you can always leave us a nice review in your podcast um, software of choice. Five stars would be nice if you didn't mind and a nice little write up. And, uh, you know, if you left a, a lovely review and you sent us a message to tell us where to find it, hey, we might feature it on the show. And you can also let us know what you'd like to see in future shows or, um, ask us any questions or anything at all uh, by sending us an email to podcast at animativeadults.com and we will see you very soon uh, for another animation for adults podcast and uh, just 
stay safe, everyone. Um, just keep swimming, and uh, we'll see you soon. That's all, folks. <laughs>